here with Diane with, uh, well, tell us your position and, your, and where you work. Um, so I am the privacy and security lead for Mozilla's Mixed Reality Projects. I work in Pittsburgh remotely for Firefox Reality team for Mozilla. Um, and basically, it's my job to think of all of the emerging threats that are happening with uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, anything in between, because it turns out that there are a lot of emerging privacy threats. Yeah, I so you, uh, you wrote this blog post uh, in December that was uh, eye-catching. I lost my notes here. What I've got here are comments, um, but I, I was looking through the blog post, and you, you did such a great job explaining um, what's going on uh, specifically with Oculus uh, Quest, right? Um, yeah. So ex- uh, explain the blog post a little bit, and then I'm going to ask you a couple specific questions about some mm-hmm. of the things you had in that. Yeah, so basically part of Mozilla's brand promise is we are all about privacy. And what that means is that part of our ethos and part of our privacy policy is that we don't want to be um we don't want to be selling our users data and we don't want to and so we want to make sure that we can interoperate with other products, other platforms like Oculus and like Facebook, while still remaining true to our privacy policies. Um, and so I was investigating, you know, what what is happening on the Oculus when you're doing routine browsing um, for, for our knowledge, for our products. And so I was curious, you know, what kinds of data is sent back to Oculus during a routine browsing session. And that's where this all sort of came out from. Um, Because Oculus in their privacy policy reserves the right to pretty much send back any data they want to. Mm. Um, Whether that's VR specific data, like your head pose, your your voice, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Or whether it's normal telemetry data and timing data. And the result of this was that although they reserve the right to send back this data. Currently, they're only sending back normal telemetry and timing data, like URL data, time to interactive, etc. So what, what we would consider run-of-the-mill um, telemetry data. Mm. So, yeah, uh, one of the key things in that blog post was you, you explained the difference between collecting and processing, I think, were the two terms. Can you explain yes. the difference between those two terms and what they mean? And specifically, people would see these terms in privacy policies, typically from various companies around the around the world. So um, processing is something that is necessary, especially in, when we're talking about mixed reality. Like right now, you, you're processing what I'm doing with my hands. You have to process what I'm doing with my hands in order to say that I'm moving my hands like a crazy person, which is what I do <laughs> when I talk. Um, but what you probably aren't doing is collecting my hand data right now. You aren't collecting it and storing it for later use or later processing. So processing is kind of this transient data process. Uh, shouldn't use processing. It's this transient operation on the data where the data goes in, you do something to it, and then the data goes back out again. Whereas in collection, the data goes in, it's kind of stored in this box, and it might also go out again and be used, 
but it also stays in that box for later use, maybe for advertising. Mm-hmm. Dini, can you actually find the blog post and drop it into the comments uh, so that people can read what you wrote about this and really uh, digest it? Um, what can users do, people who have headsets, do to protect their own privacy? And, um, you know, it's not just there's a comment here asking whether it's uh you know, specifically Facebook or Oculus or whether it's broader than that. But, you know, what can people do to affect change here? And what's the sort of red flags uh, that people should keep an eye out for? Gosh, you know, that's a really hard question. Um, because one of the things that I push really hard back against is that I know that individuals want to do things. Individuals want to be able to affect change, but what we really need is a collective. What we really need is collective action Um, because the companies are the ones with all of the power here. The companies force the, the privacy policies and you either You either use the technology and you are bound by the terms of the contract that you um, implicitly agree to, or you don't use the technology and therefore you aren't bound to it, right? That's the the reality of the situation that we're in. So what you can do... um, Now, there are other headsets, um, like what's it called? Um, Pico, I think, is what it's called. Now, there they're supposed to be a more privacy preserving headset because they're geared more towards enterprise use. So enterprise use has um, more of a uh, less, less of um, less of a, what's the word I'm looking for? Less of an incentive to sell towards advertisers because they're making their money off of enterprise deals. Right. So it's, you can look at the incentive structures and try to purchase your hardware based on that. So that's one option that you can do. But unfortunately, due to contracts of adhesion, there's not much as the individual that you can do. One thing that you can do is try to, um, you know, we're trying to put together, you know, what are reasonable policy proposals? What are things that we can do that people can support and try to get their Congress people to support? Um, yeah. Um, one thing that I, I've noticed, um, or at least I've pointed out on this podcast in the past is, uh, you know, I watched the evolution of what happened with the app stores where, uh, when the iPhone app store first debuted, a lot of those apps were 10, $15 a piece. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it bears mentioning that, you know, Oculus quest apps are all, uh, between, 10 and you know $30 right now. So you're paying for an experience and you're expecting to get an experience out of that that you paid for up front and not to have uh any collection of personal data. You know, in response to that, I'm paying a premium, so to speak, in yeah. order for that to to be done. But to the the sort of point, I guess the, the broader point here is Facebook wouldn't want to, or any company, I, I hate to focus just on Facebook. And there's a comment here asking whether uh, there, you know, there's a bias against Facebook here uh, in focusing on their specific um, business model. And, and since there's so much fear of the company in general, but um, they would not want to restrict a future revenue stream uh, 
or if their business shifts, uh, they're going to want to protect and make sure that their business has a 10 year lifespan. You know, it can grow over the, over the span of many years and can go in different areas. So, uh, I guess I I'm going to rephrase this into a different perspective. Is there anyone doing really simple language privacy policies that are easily understandable by you know 13 year olds who are at the beginning of you know who are using these things in many cases um, that we can point to and say you know all privacy policies policies should be written this way. Um, no. <laughs> no, and you're not going to get that because privacy policies are legal documents. Um, and so they're going to be written by lawyers. And, um, you know, my mom's a lawyer and I can tell you right now, nothing she writes is, is going to be comprehensible to a 13 year old. <laughs> um, but, but you actually, you make a good point. So one thing that we, we do need to think about is the, the types of, um, compensation models. Um, advertising as a compensation model, I think we've, we've noticed isn't a compensation model that incentivizes privacy. Um, now there are actually, but on the other hand, there are ways that we can enable advertising while respecting privacy. And one of my favorite things to pick on, and it's weird that I both pick on it and kind of advocate for it, it's gaze. So our gaze can reveal a lot of different things about us. It can reveal our sexual orientation. It can reveal, oops, keep trying to enumerate on my fingers and forgetting. (laughs) (laughs) It can reveal things like our sexual orientation. It can reveal whether we have affective disorders like um, autism. That's not an affective disorder. Apologies. Um, It can reveal whether we have autism. It can reveal affective disorders like anxiety or depression. Um, all sorts of things that are either protected information or sensitive information. And so exposing raw gaze data, um, especially to something like the immersive web, is something that I advocate very strongly against. However, uh, exposing gaze data in very abstracted ways could also be very attractive, especially for doing um, advertising in a privacy-protecting way. Like um, if you expose gaze data in a way that says someone has interacted with this ad, they've engaged with this ad, i.e. they've looked at it, then an advertiser can pay out and have more confidence that someone has actually engaged with this, this ad without requiring all of the tracking, without requiring all this cross-site tracking that we see now. And so it's a way to do engagement without requiring all the tracking, without requiring all of this privacy-violating tra- technology that we see. Um, and so it's it's one of those things that in privacy, everything is context-dependent. There are no right and wrong answers, and I think that that's what makes it really hard. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and, and I think what we try on, or what I try to do is, I, I want to illuminate and really raise the level of understanding of these very hard to grasp technologies. And the magic of VR uh, is that your it disappears, right? The technology is disappearing in front of your eyes. Uh, the, the, the latest um, 
technology of Quest is to remove the controllers themselves and just to reach out with your own bare hands into midair to manipulate mm-hmm. content. And so it's just one more layer of this technology literally disappearing right before your eyes and you're, you're just being there. And uh, it becomes really important to understand what these words mean, how they can be used, and to start discussions about policy and about uh, what these companies can be doing better. Um, the, you know, I think the, the, the flip side of that is what you said at the beginning of this, where, you know, processing the data is, is necessary for function on so many levels. And I don't think it's just not really well understood where collection ends and where processing begins. And I, and I don't know how we can illuminate, uh, illuminate that more. One of the comments here was bringing up, um, Decentralized VR, and I, it's, I guess, it's an interesting idea, but I, I don't understand how we would get to decentralized VR. Um, and I mean, there's there's ideas of like uh, blockchains being used to uh, distribute ownership in a different way, but it's it's always when you get into discussions of blockchains, you end up going down a real deep rabbit hole of things that it could do that it will probably never do. Um, the thing with yeah. blockchain is that, you know, if, if you look at, say, Bitcoin, which is, you know, the kind of quintessential blockchain, it's people think of blockchain as anonymous technology. And one of my favorite quotes about Bitcoin is that it's just Twitter for your bank account. <laughs> it's not actually it's not actually anonymous. There's a lot of work that you have to do in order to make it anonymous. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that and breakdown. So, That's fantastic. Yeah. And so I, I, I think that um, you have to take a really good look at the guarantees that you want to get out of it. Like saying that you want something that's decentralized. That's great. But what are the guarantees? Oh, God. I hope my cat's not breaking my VR equipment. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hope no one heard that crash. Um, one of the things that you have to look at, you know, we're not saying, oh, what we, what'll solve all of our problems is decentralized VR. No, what are the guarantees that we're actually looking to get? Is it anonymity? Is it the lack of a centralized um, infrastructure? Is it the absence of Facebook? Um, and from there, then you can start thinking about, okay, well, what actually solves the problems here? And so that's, that's mainly my problem when we talk about decentralization is that I think that we, we say decentralization before we talk about the actual guarantees we're looking for. Um, I think one question I've got to ask, and it might be my last question here. Um, but, uh, machine learning is sort of, uh, the latest, um, frontier in technology. And, um, we ran a story a while back, uh, about, but basically, what ended up happening was there was a uh, report that popped up on Reddit that uh, suggested that during the testing phase for uh, Oculus Quest, um, they had a bug reporting system in place just for uh, the the testers and engineers of the Oculus Quest, and that uh, that bug reporting process more or less took a photo of your environment uh, 
whenever the person said, okay, I'm having, uh, I've had some kind of a tracking glitch. Let's report this bug. And it would send a, uh, image of the environment, um, to, you know, back to Facebook headquarters, um, along with this, you know, bug report that I'm, I'm sure include other, included other information about the headset at the given time. Uh, we wrote about it and, the thing about this was that I took a very measured approach to writing about this particular issue. Uh, you know, I, I reached out to Facebook a couple of times to try to find out what was actually going on here. Um, because the way the Reddit post was framed made it seem like this could be happening at home to home users. You know, it was, it wasn't written that way. If you read it carefully, it wasn't saying that, but you could easily glance this Reddit post and take away that impression that when you do a bug report, um, more information than you expect is sent back to Facebook. And that's not the case. This was exclusively a, a, you know, a developer process and Facebook was explicit in their communications with me to say that uh, the internal engineers at Facebook who opted into this process knew what was going to happen when they hit that bug report button to help um, fix this, uh, you know, fix this tracking system that is so core to the absolute functionality of Oculus Quest and, and Rift S. So, uh, you know, I get the impression that they're applying machine learning algorithms to lots and lots of reports of, you know, internally gathered from their own data to improve the, the basic functionality of these systems. And I guess I'm under, I'm trying to understand is our, we put this video out on YouTube, right? What's keeping um, people from inferring all those things earlier that you talked about just by looking at our video, you know, finding our video and seeing our gaze and seeing the movements of our hands and producing a pretty good model of who we are just from these avatars, you know, and I, and I, so anyways, that's a long, long story, but I, yeah. I want to understand machine learning algorithms and how that relates to some of the things you brought up. Well, um, what's keeping them from doing it right now is pretty much that people haven't done it yet. Um, and when they do, they'll write a paper and they'll probably put a positive spin on it. And then privacy advocates will be like, you know what? That was a terrible idea. You shouldn't have. <laughs> it was a terrible idea. You should put a negative spin on this. This is a total privacy violation. Um, but, you know, it's something that I am uh, working on. I'm actively working on trying to get collaborations for, you know, can we link avatars from, um, you know, from like this you know this experience to another experience you know i'm looking for collaborators i'm interested in collaborations you know can we link people identities from one experience to another based on things like you know hand tracking based on their gait things like this can we connect people um based on these biometrically derived uh data what I cleverly call BDD because it's not technically biometrics. Illinois has a biometrics law that very narrowly defines biometrics as things like your, um, your face scan, retinal scans, fingerprints, 
um, et cetera. And so this really is what we're talking about. It's biometrically derived data because it is intrinsic to you, but it's more derived, right? Um, and so, sorry, sorry go ahead. And, and and so what what we're what we're what I'm saying is that what's keeping people from doing it is that it hasn't been done yet. Now there is something to be said for there is a certain need for granularity. For example, right now is is this movement that I'm doing here is this quite granular enough to identify me? I don't know. That's something that you would need to look into. Is this head movement that I'm doing? Can you get this from a video? I don't know. But um, can you get it from the headset side of things? If you have access to that, probably um, would be my... That would be my guess is that if you're looking at solely the video of things, I think that you maybe don't have enough fidelity. But if you're looking at it from the sensor side of things, you probably do. I think um, I guess I should bring up a couple other things that I, I've talked to. But like I know Facebook has uh, the working very hard with hyper realistic. What do they call them? They currently call them codec avatars, I believe, um, to uh really represent you in a much more realistic way and I, I put one of these questions to facebook wondering you know in their pro in their terms of use they ask you that you use your real identity your real name um in setting up a facebook account and now to access certain social features via oculus headsets you need to use you need to link your facebook account to access those social features <laughs> and the, the the problem with that whole policy is that it Lots actually encourages people to set up more fake accounts mm -hmm. um to get around having to give their data collection so related to the codec avatar situation is that you know we are you know sometime down the road uh it makes sense for the headset to authenticate the person putting the headset on as the owner of the headset. Theft protection, privacy protection, in, in theory, uh, making sure you are you can load up only your settings and your content and protect you in significant ways. Um, you know, does that level of, I guess it's going back to the issue of this policy, does it encourage people to actually fake? you know, set up more fake accounts and is that defeating the process? So what, you know, is there a better solution out there than, than that? Oh gosh. I, I mean, there are a ton of problems with um, requiring real identity um, accounts and especially for a, a social um, environment. Uh, Jessica Outlaw from the Extended Mind did a study where she found out that, you know, within an hour, um, all of the women in her study felt uncomfortable in uh, social VR. Um, they felt harassed and they just they felt generally uncomfortable and they were more than ready to leave. Um, I haven't done much in social VR outside of pubs because um, I don't really have any interest in being harassed myself or feeling that way. And so I choose to do private by default instead of joining like the large 
um, more open social VR settings. Um, and that's my personal choice. But besides that, um, there are a lot of places where dissidents and others might want to not be represented by their real identities. I personally don't have a Facebook account to do the Oculus testing. I wanted to see if there is a difference in the data that was sent back between um, not being logged into Facebook and being logged into Facebook. And so I actually created a Facebook account for my cat. <laughs> and so um, my cat now has Facebook uh, account. Sorry, Fantastic. Watson. Sorry, I violated your privacy. So I now have a fake Facebook account for my cat to violate that, to, to, to do that. And so, um, but then, you know, there are one of the other things that I do is a lot of ethics work. And is it ethical to require people to, be realistic or be photorealistic. And I think that this, you know, I, I think that we could talk for hours on this entire subject realistically. Um, so I don't know if I'm even coming close to answering your question, but I think that there are a lot of problems with having a photorealistic avatar. So like, I know personally, I would much prefer to be rec- realized in virtual reality as a cat. That's how I feel my intrinsic self is. Um. I, so one of the best questions, um, so I was at one of the Oculus Connects and uh, it, this, I always come back to this question because um, there was uh, a transgender person who came up and asked a social VR person at Facebook whether uh, they would be allowed to use voice changing software or hardware to embody the gender uh, that they identify with. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that, you know, ran afoul of Facebook's identity policies. Um, and I don't think that question was answered then. And I, that's, this was a, an Oculus Connect years ago. I don't think it's been answered now. And so it, it's an ongoing, so, so this, yeah, this, this conversation yeah. can go on for hours and I, I want to keep having this conversation. I'm so appreciative of you joining us today um, to, to have that conversation because these aren't easy answers. And, you know, politics is one of those things where, um, you know, the internet allows some of the least informed people to make the largest uh, voice to, to, to sort of make the biggest impact. And it doesn't allow for more nuanced discussion that really can result in, it doesn't always uh, allow for more nuanced discussion that can result in actual policy change that, you know, meets the needs of a very large segment of people The the extremists come in and they push the people apart and it becomes really hard to have these discussions. So, uh, we're, we're doing our, our best to, um, you know, have these discussions and uh, to, to, to be able to apply deeper meaning, you know, raise up the, the knowledge of our audience so that we can uh, discuss these things more in depth and understand what the solutions might be in a couple of years. And I appreciate everything we've talked about. So I just, um, hopefully we can continue this discussion in the future. Yeah, I just want to finish up by saying that, you know, privacy um, I love working on privacy. I love working on emerging technology privacy. It's 
it's it's really hard um, because it's you know there's a technological part to it, but uh, privacy inherently is about people. It's about having respect for people. It's about caring for people. It's you know there's a policy component. You have to be aware of what's going on around you, um, and you have to you have to be able to contextualize things, and you have to think about all of that. But it's really about the intersection of technology and people. Um, and so thank you so much for having me on and, and letting me talk about this. Oh, thank you so much. And is gonna, let's, let's try our, our handshake here. Yeah. Thank you so much. And <laughs> thank you for tuning in and, uh, tune, tune back in next week. We'll have a new guest and we'll talk about the week's VR news. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah.